This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. 
It's more than radio. It is community radio, KOPN, serving Columbia, Hallsville, Hartsburg, McBain, Mexico, Tibet, Tipton, Easley, Centralia, Clark, Huntsdale, Arrow Rock, and points all about mid-Missouri. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host every Sunday morning from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And uh, we have an interesting show lined up for you tonight. Not quite as intense as we've been for the last couple of weeks. If you listen to this program regularly, you know we had kind of an intense couple of weeks there with G. Edward Griffin and uh, uh, and Colin Ross, Dr. Colin Ross, uh, who we talked to last weekend. Tonight's going to be a little bit more on the lighter side. We're going to be doing a live interview with Lucy Pringle from the county of Wiltshire in... Uh, the United Kingdom in England. We're going to be doing a live interview with Lucy in an hour or so. We'll have her on the on the line here, and we're going to be talking about crop circles and crop formations. And Lucy is a uh, a recognized authority in this field. She's been uh, she's been studying crop formations and electromagnetic phenomenon and their effect on living systems. She's been doing this for more than 20 years, and Lucy's an incredibly intelligent woman, and she has a lot of really interesting things to say about these things. Not only that, the crop formations themselves are really cool, and they're very uh, attractive to the eye, and uh, an incredible mystery, actually. We really don't know where they come from, who makes them. We know some of them are hoaxed for sure, and uh, but there are other ones that are a little bit more difficult to explain with incredible mathematics embedded within them and uh, geometries that are uh, hidden within the formations themselves. So there's some real interesting things, and we'll be talking about crop circles and crop formations with Lucy Pringle in just about 55 minutes. Well, let's see. Before then, we're going to do a little space weather update like we always do. And we will talk about some other stories that are in the news that I thought you might be interested in hearing. And that'll be uh, coming up as we just cruise right along here on Radio Orbit. All right. Sunday morning, the 26th of September. And you are listening to KLPN, Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. Okay, tonight, Lucy Pringle, uh, let's do space weather first. As you know, if you listen to this program regularly, one of the first things we do every week is we talk about the sky above our heads and what's happening out there in the solar system and in the local neighborhood around our planet. We like to try to see what's happening on the sun and uh, what's happening on some of the other planets around the system and maybe comets and near-Earth asteroids and things of that nature. The sun has been relatively quiet for the last few weeks. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot to talk about here. No significant solar flares or coronal mass ejections. and um, Things have been just pretty mellow on the sun, although you wouldn't know it here on Earth. Uh, typically, as, as, as you know, we've talked about this quite a bit, but the sun affects everything that happens down here on planet Earth. The sun is 99.5% of the mass and energy of our entire solar system. So when the sun burps, when the sun does anything, it profoundly affects everything within the entire system. Whether you understand that or whether you feel that or whether you recognize it or not, it is still happening. And the sun, of course, affects weather as well. And with the, with the crazy weathers, uh, weather patterns we've been seeing over the last... Uh, well, actually, over the last few years, we've been seeing a lot of change. But, boy, this, uh, this last uh, couple months down in the Caribbean and um, the hurricane activity we're seeing down out there in the Atlantic has been really uh, pretty astounding to watch if you've been following these things. And it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. We've got uh, Gene, who's lining up right now to barrel into Florida again and the whole uh, eastern seaboard there. And 
couple other couple other storms out there churning and burning right in the middle of the Atlantic right now. And uh, uh, do me a favor, say a little say a little prayer across your fingers for for Mike because I got a a golf trip to Myrtle Beach coming up in about a week and a half, and uh, we're trying to sneak it in between the between hurricanes. So. So let's hope that uh, let's hope that things stay mellow and we get in our golf games, okay? All right, that uh, we take care of. That's the important business, by the way. So, all right, what else is happening? Aurora borealis. Uh, since the sun is not real active, we don't have a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of active aurora right now. Although um, the what we call the aurora season actually begins. Uh, the autumn season began on the 22nd. The uh, the vernal equinox. Uh, which just occurred a couple of days ago. And uh, the equinox, along with the solstices, are considered pretty important days in both astrological and astronomical uh, circles. Uh, astronomically, of course, the equinox is the, the two days during the year, or the two moments during the year, actually. They don't, uh, the, the equinox actually only occurs for a moment um, and then passes on. But basically all it means is that this is the time when the sun is above the horizon for exactly 12 hours and it is below the horizon for exactly 12 hours and uh, that happens every March and every September usually between the 21st and the 23rd it doesn't fall on any particular day primarily because of the Gregorian calendar and the fact that the Gregorian calendar is an inaccurate timekeeping device um, if it were accurate such as uh, um, a 13-moon, 28-day calendar such as the Mayans used many, many years ago, uh, things would fall on exactly the same day. For example, your birthday would always be on the same day every year. It wouldn't be on a Monday one year and then a Tuesday the next year and a Thursday if it's a leap year and this sort of thing. So the Gregorian calendar is not a perfect timekeeping device. There are many problems with it, but that's uh, fodder for another show. We actually will do a show on the Mayan calendar uh, one of these days, as we sneak closer to that uh, so-called critical date of December 21st, 2012, when the Mayan calendar, uh, I, don't, I don't prefer to say that it ends, but it, uh, it begins a new cycle, let's say that. And, uh, of course, there's lots of questions and lots of interest as to what, what, what that might actually really mean to us on the ground here on planet Earth in, oh, seven years or so. Six and a half years from now, I guess, uh, not that long, so we'll find out soon enough. Anyway, Aurora Borealis, um, the, the, uh, uh, the autumn season just began. Now, this is something that's kind of strange but true, but there are more geomagnetic storms around the... Um, Autumnal or the vernal or the autumnal equinox. I said vernal equinox earlier. That was a mistake. That's not, that's the spring equinox. The autumnal equinox is the one that just happened a couple of days ago. Um, but in any case, there's typically more geom geomagnetic storms this time of year than any else uh, than any other time during the year. And although we really aren't experiencing this year, uh, it's sort of an atypical year. So. Uh, the sky above our heads, not a whole lot going on uh, to uh, get too excited about. Although, as you know, um, uh, the near-Earth asteroid named Tutatis will be doing a flyby, a very close flyby to Earth in just a couple of days. And um, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. I might even actually try to get Kent Stedman on the air. I don't know if he's around, but I'll try to give Kent a call. And if we can get him on the air, we'll do 15 minutes or so with Kent, and we can talk about Tutatis and what that means uh, uh, when that asteroid is going to zip by our planet in uh, just a few days here on the 29th. All right, what else? One more thing. I want to talk about the moon a little bit. Um, 
I, I was looking at the moon the other night, and I was thinking, of, you know, through a, through a backyard telescope, most of the planets, in fact, all of the planets in our solar, solar system, they look fuzzy and sort of indistinct. You can't see a whole lot of details on them. Um, the closest planets to us, of course, are Mars and Venus, and those planets are still over 100 million miles away from us. However, just around the corner, just only about 250,000 miles away, about 243,000 miles to be exact, is the moon. And the moon is a quite exotic world, and it's right in our backyard. And with a backyard telescope, you can actually see incredible details on the moon that you can't see on any of the other planets or anything. So I think it's worthwhile to, uh, to remember that, because for kids and for even us adults, it's pretty fascinating to look at the moon through a telescope. Uh, it'll, just, uh, it'll just blow you away when you actually look closely and see some of the things that you're able to see. And um, uh, this is uh, my nice segue into a guest that I'm trying to set up. There's a gentleman whose name is uh, Felix Bach, and um, Felix is an interesting fellow. I, I came across Felix through uh, Phyllis Galdi from Fate Magazine. If you, um, uh, you may have heard me interview Phyllis just a few weeks ago, but we were talking about the moon, and she mentioned this guy's name is Felix Bach, and Felix Bach has been writing for a long, long time about what he considers, at least, uh, to be activity on the moon. He's been asserting for a long, long time that there are actually bases on the moon and that there's all kinds of stuff that's actually happening up there, but covertly and uh, uh, in, a, in, in a situation where we don't really know what's happening up there and we haven't been told. Now, uh, don't shoot the messenger. Don't, uh, don't make a judgment on this. I'm kind of new to this material myself, but I, as always, I go into it with an open mind, and I'll... Uh, try to get Felix on the air and let him tell his story and we can uh, decide for ourselves whether we think that he's the real deal or whether we think that he's uh, uh, over the cuckoo's nest. So anyway, I'd be looking forward to get Felix Bach on, on the air. And the reason that I want to get this is because I got a real interesting email the other day from, my, uh, uh, from a guy that I'm only going to describe as Sherlock Bill. And uh, if, uh, if you're familiar with Ken Stedman's uh, cyberspace orbit website you might you you'll see sherlock bill uh every once in a while shows up on orbit with a little investigation and um to to make a long story short there is a probe a satellite that is investigating the moon right now that probe is called clementine and clementine is orbiting the moon and taking pictures and relaying the data that it gets back to Earth, and we can actually see this data on a relatively close to real-time basis. Um, if you go to uh, one of the Navy's websites, they actually have a link up to Clementine, and you can put in the, your own parameters for viewing. And basically what this does, you tell it where you want to look, you give it a longitude and a latitude coordinate on the moon, and Clementine will go into its database and it will pull up photographs from that particular section of the moon that you want to see. And this is an archived group of photographs that, have, uh, that Clementine has been collecting during its mission. So anyway, Sherlock Bill gets an email um, with a particular longitude and latitude um, a position on the moon. And if anybody wants the details on this, I'll post it up on the website uh, or you can, uh, you can send me an email at orbitradio at AOL.com. That's O-R-B-I-T radio at AOL.com. But in any case, if you go to the Clementine probe and you use um, a latitude of minus 2 and a longitude of 311, uh, 
and uh, set the resolution to one pixel equals a kilometer. And I'll tell you what, the image that you get is very, very interesting. Now, I'm looking at it right now. Now, this is an, uh, an image from the surface of the moon. And without uh, going into a lot of detail, because you can't see it, Unless you go to orbit, uh, um, I'll give you the address uh, where you can see it. What you see is a lot of right angles. And um, right angles are things that don't particularly occur in nature. Certainly not four of them uh, in a row to make a rectangle. And the imagery that I'm looking at right now, direct from the Clementine satellite, uh, shows definitely some rectangular structures. And, uh, again, these, these photos come directly from uh, the CMF.NRL uh, Navy military website. So the, the, the photos are not being or, uh, doctored with unless they're being doctored with by the, by the feds themselves uh, or by the Clementine operators themselves, which I, uh, I, I wouldn't put that past them, to be quite frankly, uh, Frank, but, uh, but it doesn't seem like that would be the most reasonable possibility. So anyway, uh, we'll try to get Felix Bach on the air, and we'll talk to him about uh, about this image that I'm looking <clears throat> that I'm looking at right now. That came back from the Clementine probe. Pretty interesting stuff there going on on the moon. So okay, that's what's happening in the skies above our heads, and uh, we're going to take a break right now. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5. We're going to start things off with a little bit of music from a band called the Stockholm Syndrome. I think they're coming to town here uh, in not, not too long. I'm not sure exactly when they're coming, maybe October or November, probably down to the Blue Note and Mojos or something like that. But anyway, this is the Stockholm Syndrome on Radio Orbit, KOPN. This is a song called American Fork. Check it out. Revolution, talking animal fights while the bomb. 
on queen straps on a simple girl. Through up another settlement, the middle of the night, and you tell the world about the pain you felt. Political asylum for the puppet regime, wrapping up the Indian TV sheets. Globalize the market till they're underneath. Send another peasant out to kill your fear. For the next bling bling, we'll sell it to the kids with a strap on deck. Ayatollahs versus Coca-Cola. Drink black water while the blood runs thick. Crucify the culture on the MTV. The real world, baby, and reality fight. Running down the elderly and SUVs. The Adam Edison, the border's tight. Raise the flag that'll get you into heaven. Better come on here on a cocaine chair. A thousand and one, are you prepared to call it even? The fighters at the throne where your master sits. A miracle potion for a miracle ride. Gotta get a look at your credit line. The miracle walking in American eyes. The cold out of blood and we're all out of time. And we raise our Stockholm Syndrome, Radio Orbit, KOPN. This is Mike Hagan. It's 26th of September. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Okay, we've got Lucy Pringle coming up in about 35 minutes. We're going to be talking to her live from 
from the United Kingdom, and we're going to be talking about crop circles and crop formations to one of the most intelligent women uh, in the uh, in that particular areas uh, uh, area of research. So Lucy Pring will be with us here in just a just a little while. Uh, what else is, uh, we want to talk about? Let me talk a little bit about some future guests coming up. Um, Lucy's going to be coming up, as we know, just a half an hour from now. Felix Bach, I told you before the break that I'm trying to get him set up so we can talk about the moon a little bit and what might be happening up there. Uh, I have a number of uh, Native American friends back in the Colorado area that I mention once in a while on the air, and David Swallow is one of those gentlemen and I'm hoping to set up something with him in just a few weeks and have David on the air and we'll talk about some of the current things that are happening in the Lakota Nation and uh, in the indigenous nations here in, uh, here in the United States and uh, find out what David thinks about well it's just a different perspective on, uh, on some of the current events and just sort of the in, in, in general, the actions and the activities that are happening on planet Earth right now. So we'll try to get David Swallow lined up in the next month or so. I'd like to do that actually before the elections. And uh, we might get Jim Beard on the air as well with David. Um, I'm real excited. Uh, you've heard me talk over the last few weeks about Dennis McKenna. Uh, he um, is a researcher into hallucinogenic plants and hallucinogenic compounds. Uh, has been doing this research for about 40 years now and Dennis has been published and written and spoken on many many different radio programs and written so many papers that I can't even uh, keep track of them anymore but in any case uh, Dennis McKenna uh, will be doing an interview with me I'm actually going to interview him next Thursday uh, he wasn't his uh, the hours of my program for whatever reason uh, we're not uh, we're not good for Dennis, so he didn't want to do the show in the middle of the night, but we're going to tape the interview, and I'll air it in the next few weeks here. But we'll be talking about psilocybin and shamanism and DMT and LSD and, oh, lots of these different psychoactive plants and psychoactive compounds that are used around the world in certain indigenous cultures in ritual and in ceremony, in ceremony and uh really interesting stuff that Dennis will be talking to us about. So Dennis McKenna coming up in uh, just a couple weeks. Also, Joseph Chilton Pierce. I'm very excited to say that I'm going to be talking to Joseph Chilton Pierce in just uh, a couple weeks. Again, I'll be taping that interview and we'll air it on the program in uh, the next few weeks. Anybody out there who has children, if you have a child, whether they're young or whether they're old, this is a program that you must listen to. Joseph Chilton Pierce has been writing about human development, human potential, the unfolding of intelligence in children, and he is a, a groundbreaker and is a man who's now nearly 70 or 80 years old and is so far ahead of his time that the stuff that he was writing in the 60s and the 70s is just now uh, becoming more readily accepted by the mainstream. Uh, his most recent book is called The Biology of Transcendence, and he's written a number of books uh, before that and produced videos and done a lot of things. But Joseph Chilton Pierce is a hero of mine and somebody who I'm really looking forward to talking to, and he's really, uh, he has some really important and some informational things to say to you guys. And like I say, especially if you have children, uh, this guy will really, really uh, open your eyes to some things. So Joseph Chilton Pierce coming up in just a couple weeks, too, and I can't wait to talk to, to, uh, talk to Mr. Pierce. William Buell. 
Buhlman. I'm talking to William Buhlman uh, to do a show on out-of-body experiences. Uh, hopefully, William will get back to me, and uh, we can firm up that date, but we're in communication. And, of course, I've got a few other things on the burners that I'm trying to get set up and um, uh, to keep some, keep some fun and exciting shows coming your way here on Radio Orbit. Okay, if you want to call, now somebody was just calling in, and I'm sorry I'm on the microphone so I couldn't pick up the phone, but next time I put on some music, you're more than welcome to call back. Uh, the number here in the studio is area code 573-874-5676. If you're out, outside the 573 area code, you can call me at 1-800-895-5676. And a little bit later in the program, if uh, Lucy's up for it, we'll open the phones uh, to get you on the air if you have some questions or comments that you'd like to make about the interview that we're that will be coming up in about a half an hour with Lucy Pringle. And uh, if you have something you want to learn about crop circles or crop formations, I'll open up the phones later, and you can a- you can ask uh, you can ask Lucy yourself. And that number will be area code five seven three four four three eight two five five. Okay, so if you want to get me in the studio eight seven four five six seven six. If you want to get on the air later four four three eight two five five. The website www.radioorbit.com R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T Only one O in the middle there. www.radioorbit.com You can go there and you can see uh, tonight's program and there's a link to Lucy's site and a lot of the things that we'll be talking about with Lucy are visual and it would be really handy if you're in front of your computer and you can log on to Lucy's website which I will give out here in just a moment and you can sort of follow along interactively as we're talking about some of these different crop formations and crop circles you can actually follow along with us and and see uh, exactly what it is that we're talking about. So two ways to do that. You can go to RadioOrbit.com and then click on the link uh, on the main page that says Lucy Pringle, and that'll take you to her website, or you can go directly to Lucy's website. Um, and uh, if, uh, if I have it around here somewhere, there it is. Um, the address is uh, HTTP colon slash slash home dot Clara dot net slash Lucy Pringle and uh, if you didn't get all that uh, just go to radioorbit.com and you can link right there from my site okay we'll have Lucy on in about a half an hour and we're going to play a little bit more music right now and we'll get back to you in just a few minutes this is Soundgarden Fell on Black Days sort of a fitting song because when I come back we're going to be talking about Tutatis sort of a dangerous near-earth asteroid that some people are saying is going to smack into us in a few days. So hang loose. This is Soundgarden Radio Orbit KOPN.
Soundgarden, Radio Orbit, KOPN. It's about 2.35, 2.36, 2.37 a.m., September 26th, Sunday morning, KOPN. Okay, uh, you know, we talk about near-Earth asteroids every week and talk about what's flying around in our neighborhood. And near-Earth asteroids are asteroids that come close to Earth. And some of them are what we call Earth crossers. And when it's an Earth crosser, all that means is that the orbit of the particular asteroid that we're talking about at some point in its orbit, it crosses over the Earth's orbit. Now, if those two bodies are in the same position at the same time, you have an impact and they run into one another. And uh, when those things happen, well, you get things like the elimination of the entire race of dinosaurs. That's what happened about 65 million years ago, they tell us. Of course, there's lots of speculation as to what really happened, but that's one of the theories, that the dinosaurs were wiped out after the impact of a large asteroid into the planet. So with that in mind, let's talk about Teutatis. We've been slowly uh, sort of working our way around Teutatis for the last few weeks, talking about it a little bit. Teutatis is a near-Earth asteroid, um, but it's a little bit unique uh, in that, number one, it's very big. It's about three miles long and about a mile and a half wide. And it also has a real funky orbit and a really, really strange rotation. Most objects out there in space rotate around one axis like the Earth does. You sort of spin like a top. Well, Teutatis actually is a little bit different. It has sort of a three-axis a, a three rotation, and it's a real wobbly rotation. It looks like a big potato out there in space, and it's just tumbling around, rolling around on these three different axes. Or axes. And um, the reason that's significant is that it makes its orbit a little bit less stable than a typical body out there flying around and Teutatis has a real unpredictable orbit and when it's and, and when an object is coming as close to earth as Teutatis is coming in a couple of days only about four lunar distances um, four lunar distances is just under a million miles and a million miles uh, in cosmic terms is a very very small amount of distance so Teutatis is making a really a pretty close flyby to the earth in fact um, on the 29th when when it zips by it will be the brightest uh, it will be the brightest object in the sky uh, that night it will not be a star it will not be a planet it will be Teutatis and it will actually be moving through the sky and you'll be able to see that with your own two eyes and hopefully you don't get to see it that well we don't want it to get too bright because and, and if you see it getting brighter and brighter and brighter that's probably not a good sign either. So anyway, uh, there are, I, I say that uh, tongue-in-cheek in, uh, in a way. However, there are some people out there that say, yeah, that it, it is a danger, that uh, there is a possibility that Teutatis might actually uh, have a, um, an encounter with the Earth or with the Moon, either one of which would be just absolutely devastating. And uh, if that happened, well, I wouldn't have to tell you about it on the radio. I think that it would become self-evident that something very strange <laughs> had happened if Teutatis whacks into planet Earth. But um, anyway, in the news, uh, Teutatis actually in the news. Here's a here's a quick little story from the Sun Herald from Australia uh, from September 19th. The story starts: Earth awaits very close encounter with asteroid. An asteroid big enough to wipe out all life on Earth will scrape past the planet on Wednesday of next week. The asteroid named Teutatis is almost five kilometers long, 
two and a half kilometers wide and shaped like a peanut. Yeah, there you go, a peanut. Scientists say it will pass by Earth on September 29th with a gap of just 1.5 million kilometers. And, of course, that's just under a million miles. Um, that's, a, like I said before, that's about four times the distance to the moon. And that's a, just a shave in astronomical terms. Um, Tutatis was named after a Celtic god. Um, and it's uh, moving at a speed of about 108,000 kilometers per hour. So imagine just a, a, a mile and a half by three mile wide bullet flying through space and uh, when it hits something it's going to be quite a quite a show um here's the caveat of the story if tutatis if tutatis deviates from its current path and hits the earth it would blast a hole the size of australia and send up enough dust to obscure the sun driving the planet into a quote-unquote nuclear winter and destroying all life but Nick Lohm, curator of the astronomy at Sydney Observatory, says astronomers have been plotting the path of Chitatis ever since it was discovered in 1989 and were certain that it would pass safely by Earth. It's big enough to wipe us out, he said, but it won't pass close enough again until 2562, so not for another 500 years or so, Mr. Lohm said. He said Chitatis would be brightest in the sky on the night of September 28th. All right, uh, so that's what's going on. Tutatis, big rock flying by, getting really close. And, of course, Nick Lohm, the curator of the astronomer or of uh, astronomy at Sydney Observatory, is certain that it will not hit the Earth, even though they've only been studying this asteroid since 1989. It was only discovered 15 years ago. And uh, NASA itself has made some interesting comments about Tutatis being one of the strangest objects in the solar system. Um, so, again, we don't know that much about this object. We've only been watching it for 15 years um, every time it rolls around the Sun something else can happen to it it can it can run into other objects which can alter the orbit um, alter its rotation and so things are always changing always in flux and we really can't say things with such certainty uh, as, uh, as mr. Loam does in that previous article but uh, my own personal opinion, I don't think that Tutatis is going to hit Earth. Um, my reasons are a little bit different. Uh, primarily, it's because every time there is a flyby of a significant size asteroid, typically we're notified, the general public is notified by the officials after the fact very rarely do we get a news story that says, hey, three days from now, a giant rock is going to just brush by the Earth, and if it hits the Earth, it will destroy all life. We never hear those stories, but we usually hear our stories after the fact, three, four days afterwards, that say, hey, a few days ago, a big giant rock cruised by the Earth and only missed us by uh, a very small amount of distance, and if it would have hit us. So we always hear these things after the fact. And... Uh, the, whether they talk about them a lot, whether they're in the mainstream news or not, I'm pretty certain that at least certain agencies are watching these things pretty closely. And if there's an asteroid that actually is on an impact path with the Earth, I don't think that it's something that they're going to advertise and uh, tell us about it. I don't think it would do much good. Uh, if you're going to destroy all life, what good does it do to tell everybody about it? And NASA has actually come out in public and said that, that they would not that they would not tell the public if something like that was imminent. So because of that and because of uh, what I know about NASA, um, I would say that uh, the fact that they're talking about Tutatis openly um, is a pretty obvious 
indicator that Jutatis is probably not a danger to Earth, at least not on this particular flyby that's coming up here in the next, uh, next, few, uh, uh, next, next few days. So that's what's going on with Tutatis. Keep your eye out in the news and keep your eye on the sky and uh, see if you can see that guy flying, flying by in a couple days. I'm going to get a little bit more music on the air here and get Lucy Pringle on the telephone. And so uh, stick with me. This is Led Zeppelin on Radio Orbit. We'll be back in 15 minutes with Lucy Pringle live from the United Kingdom talking about crop circles and crop formations and what the hell is really going on, on these, uh, in these farmers' fields on the ground all over the earth.
Led Zeppelin that was trampled underfoot. And uh, sort of a fitting song for the topic coming up tonight. Trampled underfoot. That's what some of these people that make crop circles or crop formations, that's supposedly the way that they do it, by using sticks and ropes and things like that, and then walking around in the middle of the night, and then supposedly in the morning we have these absolutely astounding formations. But I can tell you that's not the way that they always happen, at least not in my opinion. Certainly maybe some of them, but not all of them. In any case, uh, in just about five minutes, we're going to talk in detail about, uh, about that exact exact subject. I've got Lucy Pringle on the line from the United Kingdom, and we'll be going to Lucy in just a moment. Uh, to set that up, I want to read one more story here for you, though, and talk a little bit about uh, something else real fast just before we get to Lucy. I, I caught a story uh, yesterday about the Hubble telescope, and uh, for those of you familiar, most people are familiar with Hubble these days. Uh, Hubble is a, uh, a telescope that was put into orbit uh, by NASA uh, in a uh, I think it was actually a combined effort between NASA and the uh, European Space Agency, although um, don't quote me on that. In any case, uh, this story, uh, Hubble has been taking photographs and imaging the, the, uh, the skies above our heads for many years now, and there have been some incredible discoveries that have come from Hubble and a lot of incredible mysteries as well. And here's another one right here. It says, Hubble's deepest shot is a puzzle. Scientists studying the deepest picture of the universe taken by the Hubble Space Telescope have been left with a big poser. Where are all the stars? Now, uh, I'm going to paraphrase the article, but the bottom line is uh, as Hubble peers further and further and further out into space and out into time, uh, Hubble basically looks back in time as it looks out to these furthest far reaches of our galaxy and the universe. And um, to make a long story short, they're just not seeing what they expected to see. And scientists are confused. And while... As you know, on this program, we talk quite a bit about the idea that human beings have everything figured out, and we tend to listen to so-called experts in fields and scientists and people who have lots of abbreviations and letters with dots after their names. And the work that all these people are doing is wonderful and well worth the effort. However, we tend to get caught up in the idea that we have things figured out, but quite frequently we see stories show up in the news like this one that says, wow, things really aren't exactly the way we thought they were. In fact, we have, real no, we have really no idea uh, why things are the way that they are and how come we're seeing things the way that they are. So the universe is an incredible mystery. There are things out there that the human mind cannot even apprehend and cannot cognize. And there are many, many mysteries uh, that we certainly have no answers, pardon me, answers to right now. And there are many mysteries that we haven't even uncovered. We don't even know they exist yet. And many of these mysteries happen right here on planet Earth. There are so many exciting and interesting and amazing things that happen right here on this planet. And we're quite busy looking outward to other places. We look to the stars and, and we look inward to the molecular and subatomic levels to try to come up with the secrets of all of these things and the answers to all of these questions. And more often than not, we end up with more questions. And it turns out that the, the trip is a little bit more important than the destination, I think. 
sometimes. And that's exactly what the topic of our program tonight involves. An incredible mystery that's happening right here on planet Earth that's been going on for a significant number of years and we still don't have all the answers. Uh, we know quite a bit more about crop formations and crop circles today than we knew many years ago, uh, but uh, we still don't have all of the answers. And tonight we're going to try to get some of those answers. We're going to be talking to a woman who's been researching crop circles and crop formation phenomenon for many, many years. and. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting program. Her name is Lucy Pringle, and Lucy has been Lucy has been researching crop circles and uh, electro uh, electromagnetic phenomenon and the effect of electromagnetic phenomenon on living systems. Um, she has been educated all over the world. Uh, in England, in France, in Switzerland. She's traveled widely. She is the founder of the Center for Crop Circle Studies. She's widely recognized as an international authority on this subject. She's a pioneer researcher into the effects of electromagnetic fields on living systems. Um, she's done some incredible research uh, showing physical changes in plant properties and even in uh, electromagnetic systems of human beings when they're in the vicinity of crop circles and crop formations or inside a crop formation. She works with scientists all over the world. She's been on many different radio shows, been on many different television shows. She is an aerial photographer, and her photography work alone is worth looking at. Um, and uh, I, I'd like to add that my initial attraction to crop circles and crop formations um, was not curiosity about their origins. I was simply amazed by the beauty of these things. They're absolutely astounding when you see them with your eyes. Uh, they're just incredible works of art. And um, I call it earth art. And I don't know if I'm the only one that calls it that, but I think I read that somewhere. But it is earth art, and it's actually a beautiful, beautiful thing. And uh, it's also an incredibly mysterious thing. So without uh, further ado, I'm going to bring Lucy Pringle on the air, and we're going to talk to her about crop formations. Lucy, are you with me here? Hello, Lucy, are you there? Hmm. Don't seem to have Lucy. Hold on. I think what we'll do is... Uh, put on another piece of music here, and I'll see if I can get the phone worked out with Lucy, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll be right back. So stick with me. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. She don't want no diamonds 
KOPN Radio Orbit. This is Mike. I think we got the technical issue worked out with Lucy there, and uh, we uh, just did an introduction to Lucy Pringle from the United Kingdom, talking to her live on the telephone here, and we're going to be talking about crop formations. Lucy, do I have you here? Yes, yes, I'm here. Wonderful. Um, you, uh, I lost you there for a minute, and beforehand I did a little introduction and uh, talked a little bit about your background. I actually thought I had you on the line there, so you probably, <laughs> you, you probably didn't hear me do that, but no. But we did do that, and um, uh, I want to first say thank you for being here. It's a, a, a great honor for me to talk to you. I've been following your work for a number of years, and uh, um, uh, just very pleased to have you here and to talk a little bit tonight about crop circles and crop formations and, uh, and, what, and what's really going on on the ground there. Right. Well, I'm 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 delighted to be with you, and uh, uh, it may be in the middle of the night for you, but it's it's <laughs> by nine o'clock in the morning for me. So there we are. Great. We have a nice uh, we'll have a nice little Sunday morning uh, Sunday morning uh, uh, conversation over tea or coffee. Okay. <laughs> um, Lucy, uh, I I had said before uh, before before I came on that um, uh, people. If they'd like to follow along with us interactively, they can go to my website, which is www.radioorbit.com, and from there they can link right over to your website. But why don't you give out your website address, uh, too, just so uh, if people would like to, they can get there and they can see with their own eyes some of the things that we'll be talking about here. Okay. It's H-T-T-P. Um, Oh Lord! <laughs> two forward slash. Is it code? Yes. I think it's colon two colon, forward slash. Two, two forward slashes. Home h o m e dot clara c l a r a dot net forward slash Lucy Pringle and Lucy Pringle's all one word l u c y. And it's quite easy if you go onto Google or any of the web searches and you just put in Lucy Pringle or crop circle photographs. And you'll come. You'll you'll find my website there too. Okay, wonderful. So uh, you can either go directly there, or you can go to Google and put in Lucy Pringle. It'll come up, or you can go to RadioOrbit.com and just click on the link I have. I think I'm top of the list for crop circle photographs. If you're going for crop circle photographs on uh, on Google, then you'll find my website at the top. Okay, wonderful. So yeah. So everybody out there, get uh, get on your computers, get out of bed, uh, log on, and uh, get on the web and follow along with us here as we talk with Lucy about about crop. 
formations. Um, Lucy, just to set this up, I wanted to. I, I made a comment uh, uh, just before you came on the air about when I originally became interested in crop circles and crop formations. Um, it wasn't particularly because I was I was that in, interested in the uh, in the source of the phenomenon. I wasn't really interested in the origin. I just thought they were incredible works of art. They were these beautiful things that were showing up that, to my eyes at least, looked like works of art that were on the ground. And uh, I got so interested in it uh, from that angle. And then I started to uh, you know, do some more research and, and to try to find out how these things were actually happening. And I thought it would be nice if you could, uh, you have such a great uh, a historical frame of reference for this thing. I thought maybe we could spend just a few minutes, uh, actually as much time as you'd like, with you going over a little bit of your background and how you got interested in this, how you, uh, uh, how you got involved originally, and, and what was going on in the early days. And, and uh, maybe just talk a little bit about, 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 the, about, the, about your your past there. Okay. Well, um, I think that for me this was this was rather like um, continuing with what I've always been interested in in the past. Um, I've 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 got a kitten here. It's actually <laughs> driving me mad. It's all right. I've now got rid of it. Um, it was pouncing on me and everything. Um, no, I think I've always been interested. Ever since I was a child, I've been interested in the in the unexplained so this just seemed to be a, t a completely natural progression um, I think it all my very first <clears throat> remembrance of, of, of something which I, I found quite dis disturbing and provoking was, was when, I, when I was very young I, I, I read it at an early age but this was actually before I was reading and I was in the nursery and I, and I said to she, my nurse showed me a most lovely book with brightly colored birds and I, I've always colors have done something tremendous to me rather like music and and I said to her are these birds real and she said yes mm -hmm. uh, she said they're birds of paradise so I hmm. said how fantastic well where's paradise and she couldn't answer <laughs> she didn't have an answer and I thought oh golly <laughs> this I wonder where paradise is and I, I and I then asked my governess, and and she also didn't know where paradise was. <laughs> this was this was getting quite worrying because they were the two people I knew best in my life, and they knew everything so far as I was concerned. <clears throat> and I lived in a very strict setup. I I was allowed down to see my parents for about an hour every day, which was rather terrifying. So I didn't, <laughs> didn't know them very well as only an hour a day. Right. And eventually, I summoned up the courage to 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 ask them where paradise was. And again, I got a most unsatisfactory answer. And I remember this vividly because, you know, adults knew everything. So I resolved, right, when I grow up, I'm going to find where, where paradise is and I'm going to take everybody off to, to paradise and we'll see these wonderful birds. All right. <laughs> and that was my, my first sort of um, un, unexplained phenomenon, if you like. Sure. And then I got on to Loch Ness Monster. Then I found interest in... In, in Einstein's theory of relativity. And then I found the thing that bothered me most was, was infinity. Hmm. I couldn't come to grips with infinity. Uh, that I, I found extremely provoking. And it's not until I got involved in the crop circle phenomenon that I realized that there is no simple answer to this phenomenon. <laughs> it's there's a certain degree of ineffability about it that actually has let me come to terms with infinity. Right. And it's, it's an extraordinary thing because it's, it's, such a, it's such an enormously profound subject. Uh, you find you're invest Well, I find that I'm investigating 
the effects of electromagnetic fields on living systems. Right. That takes me into the investigation of the medical aspect, the hormones, the brain activity, looking into brain activity. Now, that, again, is something absolutely uh, um, um, enormous and huge and fascinating. Yeah, speaking you come of... on to the music, the geometry, um, all sorts of um, uh, theological um, research. It, it is a most immense subject. Yeah, you know, the, um, the brain and the mind itself, and I, I try not to, to, li to limit when I, when I speak about the brain, I think that's an incomplete statement these days. I think that we have to talk about the, the mind-brain system, and I think that as we learn more and more about subatomic physics and quantum physics and the, yeah. and the way that these things happen, we're, we're, I, I think that we're looking at a study of infinity right there in our own, our yeah, own, then, our then own you, systems. Then you bring in consciousness, and mm. how do you dissociate the brain from consciousness? Right. It's, 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 it's an enormous subject. It brings you on to all these absolutely fascinating subjects which are really being discussed at the highest level all over the world. Right, and the, uh, the, the difficulty... Uh, in the scientific realm, at least typically, is that it's, uh, th these guys like to have answers. Yes. And, and, and when, when, when they don't have an answer or when their answers continue to be wrong and they have to revamp their, uh, their, their, their equations and their theories and their, uh, all of their ideas, uh, quantum physics and the, the ideas of subatomic physics have l really thrown a monkey wrench into almost every area of scientific endeavor. Well, yes, they have. And I, I think we, we are really looking for a new breed of scientists now. The, the old established scientists, and I can quite understand why they're so reluctant to take on these new ideas, uh, they have, their reputations have been built around the old ideas. Right. And, and it, it's, it's, they, they can't really release them, otherwise their reputations go with them. So, uh, I and, think their, and their grant money and their tenure and all that other well, stuff. Well, that's right. right. That's right. And, and so really I think we're, we're coming on to quite a, an exciting new age where particularly in Russia, they are way ahead of us, mm -hmm. looking into the area of, of, of subtle energy, zero-point energy, etc., uh, they're doing a lot of exciting work there. Yeah, the um, the Russians and electromagnetics have always been uh, involved in that stuff. Even as early as the 50s and 60s and 70s, they were uh, experimenting with um, uh, electromagnetic systems. Maybe not to do the things that we're talking about now, but they were looking into things to, as weaponry. You know, how, how do you manipulate the weather and how do you uh, develop well, things right. like scalar yes, weapons and these sort of things, you know. They were the first to develop Kalian photography. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and it's fascinating because one of the scientists with whom I work, they've been using a, uh, a rather advanced uh, system of, of Kalian photography, and we, we take this into the, into the, into the field uh, to do scientific tests. Hey, um... And, and um, what was interesting was I, I was talking to a Russian, and I said, because we're working with somebody called Konstantin Korotkov in, in, in Petersburg, and uh, I, I said, but surely he doesn't get a grant. And he, he said, oh, yes, he does, hmm. because Kirlian photography is used in um, looking at weapons, uh, guns, pistols, where the numbers have been removed, okay. filed off and removed. Now, when you subject them to Kalian photography, the numbers are there. Wow. Now, Lucy, do me a favor. For some of my listeners, they may, may or may not be familiar with exactly what Kalian photography is. Why don't you, if you don't mind, do a quick explanation. <coughs> I know uh, there were... Well, 
I'm, I'm not familiar with a very, very in-depth research on it, but right. what, what it is is really um, f- f- photographing the electromagnetic field using a certain type of, of film and a particular technique. And, and one of the most striking um, uh, um, studies that was done was when a leaf, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to start with they photographed a leaf, then they cut off part of the leaf, they then photographed the leaf again, and the part that had, been come, that had come off was shown as a ghostly image. In fact, the electromagnetic field of that leaf was still present. Right. So and, and, yeah, that, that's just the, the very sort of basics. So it's used in, in, in different, if different techniques. So you're telling me that, the, and, and that, that was actually an amazing uh, study. It was done either late 60s or early 70s, and, and uh, sure enough, the, the... Oh, it went back even further than that. Was it further than mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Re, uh, regardless, the, yeah. the, the, uh, the entire image did show up even when they cut half yeah. the leaf away. And so that, That's right. And, that, and that, that alone, to me, has profound implications, especially when you know about things like holography and... Uh, yeah. And uh, and quantum physics, like we're talking about now. Now, how? But you're telling me this actually was the same phenomenon was being seen with uh, uh, serial numbers on weapons. Yes. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. This is why it's used extensively in Russia, and um, you know, because I think they've got quite a lot of mafia and problems all the time. Wow. <coughs> yeah. Now it's that's fascinating, a, isn't that, it? That is absolutely fascinating, mm. primarily to me because it's not an organic. Uh, they're not photographing an, no. or, an organic entity. They're, they're they're looking at something that was manufactured, made out of steel, and well, uh, that's right. Wow, that's right. But what what properties has that steel got right. uh, that uh, that we we don't quite understand? That, mm-hmm. that in fact the the numbers are still present in the in the ether, if you like. Right, just sort of the yeah. uh, the, the, uh, the the lasting impression, sort of a vapor trail or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, how does uh, how how does this stuff um how does Link this in. yeah amazing. Well, well, it it links in because one of the the Curlian technique that we use going into the field is that uh, Dr. Roger Taylor, who is one of, he's retired now, but he was one of our leading microbiologists, uh, research microbiologists. And what he does, he's got a, a, a machine um, whereby the, 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 the person who's being tested, they put their uh, fingers, the tips of their fingers, into a little indentation. Okay. Uh, a very small electrical pulse is, is passed through, is charged, but they don't even feel that. And each time they, this happens, uh, an aura comes up on the on the on the um, monitor of, of uh, Roger Taylor's laptop computer. Okay. Uh, by the time he's done all ten digits, that has done the whole body of a whole body aura, and you can then see um, the, the 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 health, so to speak, mm-hmm. of the person, mm-hmm. uh, where you get gaps or whether you get a lot of spiky bits or or whatever. And, and this is very interesting, and we do it before going into into uh, a crop circle. Uh, we do all uh, control tests for all these these particular techniques. Uh, we then go into the into the uh, formation, crop circle formation, and we then repeat those those, res, um, those tests. Okay. All we right. then compare the results. All right. All right. So you set a baseline before you go in. Absolutely. Right, and then see what it, see what happens after afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, because we want the person to be as normal as possible beforehand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, without carrying any of the possible energies that they might carry after having been into the crop circle. Right. Okay, now how do you choose, uh, for example, 
Um, well, let me ask you another question. I, I've got so many questions that this brings to mind. <laughs> but is that uh, something that you can use as an indicator for whether a formation is, is uh, um, has been created by by human beings or, or maybe through, well, or maybe it's, through it's, another means? It, it's part of a parcel. Right. Because we also test for hormones, mm-hmm. hormone levels, measured hormone levels. Um, we do brain activity tests. Um, I also bury little bottles of water inside the formation, mm-hmm. about two inches deep, dig them up at a later date, and those get um, tested. Wow. And another test that we do is collecting the seeds from uh, both inside the formation and outside the formation, and those we test for the protein content. Hmm. Now, this is very interesting, the latter one, the protein content. We've only been doing this for a couple of years. Uh, we, I haven't had the results back from this year. There's only one lab in England who do it, and they're fantastically busy. Right. Uh, but last year, the seeds that I took from a very special formation, they showed a 50% increase in the protein content in the seeds taken from inside the formation as opposed to outside. So <laughs> this oh, is a new right. slant, I say to the farmers who moan and groan. Uh, I say, hey, uh, listen, your, your crop inside the formation is worth twice as much as your crop outside. <laughs> <laughs> no more grumbling. There you go. That'll, that's one way to get them to accept it. Huh? <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, um you know, I'm 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 at your website right now, and uh, let's, I'm going to give that out again. Um, everybody, if you're listening here, you can uh, you can look at some of these formations and some of these crop circles that Lucy Pringle and I are talking about right now, and you can see them at http colon slash slash home dot clara c l a r a dot net slash Lucy Pringle. And uh, you can also get there by going to radioorbit.com and uh, and link there from my site. But uh, uh, some I'm just looking at August right here, and uh, boy, just some incredible things that are showing up on the ground. This one opposite of Silbury Hill, I can't even believe what I'm looking yeah, at. Yeah, that, that that was really that was really astounding. Um, that um, that uh, appeared in over uh, two nights, and I'm always a bit suspicious when that happens. Right. But then I started looking at the, there was, a, there was an article on it um, discussing, it was called Calendar Clock, written by somebody who, who, who was prepared to remain anonymous. Mm-hmm. And this rather fired by my, my uh, imagination, and I did a brainstorming session with a couple of friends, and we found that, it, what was interesting is that the Mayans used three calendars in parallel. All right. I tell you what. Hey, Lucy, um, yes. that's a good place to stop here. We're going to take a short break. Um, you know, that was my first thought when I saw that. I thought, I thought these are uh, Mesoamerican uh, symbols, and it looked like Mayan or Aztec uh, things that you see in their carvings and writings and on the calendars and stuff. So... Um, let's, let's do that. Let's take a, a real short music break here, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about Silbury Hill and about this formation uh, that showed up there uh, in uh, uh, just a month or so ago. And, uh, okay, I'll be back with my guest, Lucy Pringle, in uh, just a moment. You're listening to Mike Hagen. This is Radio Orbit on KOPN. And uh, since we're talking about Silbury Hill, this is as close as I could get, Lucy. This is a song called Salisbury Hill, and it's by Peter Gabriel. And uh, (laughs) we'll get back to you in just a moment here. Everybody hang with us. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit.
Gabriel on KOPN Radio Orbit. This is Mike Hagan. I'm talking to Lucy Pringle live from the United Kingdom. Where are you at exactly, Lucy? You're in uh, Hampshire? I'm in Hampshire, yes. In Hampshire, okay. Um, and uh, Lucy is my guest, and I couldn't be more pleased to have her on the air tonight. And uh, we got a little bit ahead of ourselves there. I get so excited uh, talking to uh, some of, some of the, uh, the guests that I've had on the show lately. I get so excited, and um, I want to jump right into it. But I think first, Lucy, uh, before we get too far ahead, let's do uh, just a general um, 
uh, overview of of the crop formations in general and uh, what you really think is going on there and what just just what's happening on the ground so people have a little bit of a better frame of reference before we start talking about some of these uh, some of these formations. Right, right. So I think I maybe I better start just giving one or two basic facts, which I think might be helpful because a lot of people really don't. Uh, know that, well, they think that this is a fairly modern phenomenon, but in fact it, it goes back, it's an ancient phenomenon, it goes back really uh, as far back as 800 AD, and you'll see this, you'll see, uh, this, this goes back to the petroglyphs, which are the carvings in stone. Now, in those days, when people uh, depicted um, these, these particular carvings, they were actually drawing things that they saw, like the bison and the mammoths and the buffaloes, it wasn't, they weren't imagining things, they were things that actually were present at that time. Sure. So, in fact, this, this is a very, very ancient phenomenon. Uh, it has evolved over the time, over the years, uh, particularly in the, in the last uh, decade or so. Uh, maybe, I, I believe you see there's an intelligence behind this, and it's rather like if you're talking to somebody and they, they find your subject crashingly boring, you <laughs> see that their eyes sort of film over, and, right. and you, 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 you go on to another subject. But if somebody is interested, they, they show that, and you go on and you talk more and you, you, you develop the subject. It's rather, and I, I think in the same way, it's as though the intelligence behind the crop circle phenomenon is, is evolving according to the interest. Uh, that is being shown in the subject. Okay. Um, another f uh, interesting fact is that uh, it's, these formations appear worldwide. I think in my latest book, I think I've quoted 64 different countries, literally all over the world. Um, they appear in, uh, they, again, they will appear in anything which can take an imprint, uh, sand, uh, crop, um, ice. I've seen some on ice, ice. snow. Um, there was a wonderful one outside Moscow one year in snow with no tracks leading to it, no tracks leading away from it. Is that right? And there was a lovely one in in in, in the Yemen in in um, sand. And I had an email. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, they couldn't trace the paper where it was written because that, it, it was six weeks after that it, it had come in the paper. But apparently, there was this wonderful formation in the sand which the winds couldn't blow away. Oh my gosh. I think that's so romantic. It is, you know, that's one of the things about uh, about these formations, and um, I talked about it a little bit before I brought you on the air. But the the aesthetic value alone of these things is just amazing. And by mm. and and by aesthetics, I mean in the true sense of that word, in that this is this is art. This is artwork in its true sense in that it cannot be possessed, it cannot be owned, it, it's temporary, uh, you know, it, uh, it, all you can do is look at it, put a frame around it in your mind, ac accept it for what it is, and then it goes away, and, and there, yes. it's just astounding to me. Yes, and uh, another interesting thing is that the, the, the genuine ones, they appear in a time scale of between four and seven seconds. Now, this is hard for anybody to actually uh, uh, think, uh, uh, conceive, but when I was writing my first book, I introduced, interviewed hundreds of people who said, oh, they'd seen them appear, etc. But for one reason or another, I discarded all but three, mm -hmm. and those three people were totally, they, they didn't know each other, 
But independently, they told me the same thing. Really? That this, these things happened so quickly. Um, and and, and the, the man-made ones, sometimes <laughs> they take days to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, also, another interesting thing is that 93% of all the ones in the UK, geophysical studies were done, appear on chalkland. And this is particularly interesting when, when, when you start to think of how physically these could be formed. We, we think that they originate in the ionosphere, which is the strata beyond the, uh, the um, stratosphere. Right. And we know that uh, between 2 and 4 in the morning, the ionosphere is at its lowest. And therefore, the Earth's electromagnetic field is at its highest. And it, seems, it doesn't seem to be coincidental that most of these formations appear during that time scale, between 2 and 4 in the morning. Interesting. Yeah, and... Um, we know that there's a terrific sort of vortical effect as it comes down, a terrific force, spinning force. And when it hits the ground, it probably hits the ground with some huge electrical discharge of probably some hundreds of thousands of volts per meter, but only for a nanosecond. Otherwise, we'd get, we'd get uh, burning. Mm-hmm. We do occasionally see evidence of a little bit of, of scorching. And underneath you see we get this force and underneath chalkland we get aquifers which are water springs okay. of water okay. and of course water and electricity they, they, uh, they act as attractors so a lot of this makes makes sense hmm you know um i i actually um i i own a uh a DVD. It's called Quest for Truth. It was done by William Gazeki. Oh and, yes. And I think you actually have uh, um, some of your information. I think you actually yes. you, you actually made an appearance on that uh, yes. on that video. Yes. And That's right. I do remember that there was a connection. There, there, there was at least some evidence that showed that the wa- that the aquifers were significant in this thing. Oh, they are. And and I also yeah. wanted to ask you about chalkland. What exactly is that? Well, chalkland. We we you get many different types of of soil. Uh, you get it's, you get the soil which is uh, made up largely of chalk. You get clay. You get green sand. You get all different types of soil. And gardeners will know exactly what I'm talking about because they'll know that certain plants will will grow well on certain, uh, for instance, rhododendrons and, and azaleas grow well on clay and okay. etc. Uh, chalk is is a, is a is a porous. It's fairly porous. And, and, and so the water goes down very quickly through the chalkland and, and gathers in, into aquifers underneath, springs underneath. And, um, um, oh, my kitten's at it again. <laughs> Sorry, I've got to swipe it away. That's all right. I have a, I have a cat of my own. I know. I know uh, well, I know this what... is only six, six months old, and it's an absolute little fiend. Well, they'll cause more, <laughs> she'll cause more, more trouble in the next six months than she will the rest of her life. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, so, yes, yeah, so that is important. Also, another thing that is extremely important, and this is why I think possibly England, the UK, has so many crop circles, right. is really the center of it, is that we have so many sacred sites. Mm-hmm. And you get terrific energy on sacred sites. In the old days, uh, our ancient forebears, uh, just like we can see the edge of a carpet or the white line in the middle of the road, uh, they would follow an energy line. They could walk along an energy line uh, as though it was actually visible. Hmm. And then maybe they'd get a tingle and they'd stop and they'd put down a stone to commemorate this. And other people would come along, same thing would happen, and you'd get a little pile of stones, a cairn, and then you might, that might turn into an altar. Then it might turn into a, into a little 
uh, a, a little church and then eventually all our, all the cathedrals, Chartres Cathedral, cathedrals mm-hmm. all over the world mm-hmm. are built on these energy points. Right, and they call uh, them ley lines, I think a lot of well, people talk about. Ley lines or energy lines. Okay, I, I, okay. Make, I, I make a distinction between the two. Um, the energy lines, I think, are the ones that we find naturally in the planet and we have a whole network of energy lines on in the planet. Um, the, the the ley lines I call are the ones that are laid down by man. Okay, okay. Uh, because if you walk, say, if I walk from from one part of my house to the kitchen all the time, I will very possibly have lay, laid down an energy line. Mm-hmm. There's that signature. Yeah. That signature we were talking about before. It remains there. Yeah, that's it. Right. That's it. Yep. Wow, incredible. Okay, um, mm. so. But, Go, go, go on. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say also, you know, we, we have various various means of trying to distinguish. I think this was what we, we, we touched on earlier, distinguish between the man-made and, and, and the genuine ones. Um, one interesting thing is that a farmer in Wiltshire, oh, several years ago, he had, um, he allowed a, a young man to go in and, and make a crop circle on his land. And because he was a he was a right old skeptic, right. And when the, the 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 lad left, he the farmer was was most ex- ex- amazed because a whole lot of birds went into the into the crop circle. Okay. And he'd apparently had a, a, a formation on his land a couple of years before that, and not a single bird had gone in. Now mm. this may seem puzzling but in fact there's a simple solution okay in the genuine ones the the plants are not damaged in any way at all they continue to grow if they're the green crop um but where they have the man-made ones the, the people go in with their stomping boards right and they knock the seeds out of the seed heads and the birds say ah. jolly good yum 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 lovely breakfast Amazing, Lucy. Yep. What a gr- what what a what a what a profound yet simple point. Yeah, yeah. And also, when um, you go into the crop, in in the green crop, that means when it hasn't turned golden and yellow, um, there's a particular film or a glaze on it, which is a slightly sort of grayish color. Now, if you rub against that, or even you run your finger down it, that is removed, and that never comes back again. It's part of the original growing process. Okay. So if you go into, if you're lucky enough to go into one which is just very newly formed, and you do an examination on that basis, you can see I've sometimes even seen people's tracks of their trainer shoes. Mm-hmm. So I then have to say to myself, well, um, as I wasn't there when it happened, am I the first person? Uh, was, was, have other people been in before me? Uh, or uh, it was this man-made. Right. I don't know. And then uh, the, in the in the in the in the um, in the, the ripened crop, you look to see if any of the seed heads have been knocked off because they use their ropes. Mm-hmm. And when you have a tightened rope, uh, it's flicking off the seed heads as it moves around. So if you see a whole lot of stalks without any seed heads, <laughs> right. that's mighty suspicious. Okay. Also, you can tell if they, the, the stalks have been crushed, even though they may not look uh, crushed, but if you just feel them very gently between your thumb and your forefinger, mm-hmm. you'll see if they've been crushed, and you see if there are seeds on the ground. 
So there are various ways, but geometry is another way right. that people try and uh, make a, a, a dif differential between the two. And in the man-made ones, no matter how brilliant they look from the air, there are always mathematical mistakes, which is to be expected. Right, they're not perfect. They can't be. I mean, sometimes they are made... Yeah, that's a uh, 300-foot diameter, mm -hmm. and you're going to make mistakes. Right. Uh, but we've had some which have been a 1,000-foot in diameter, and they've been flawlessly accurate. Oh, and... and Absolutely mind-blowing. Right. And some of the geometries that are actually hidden inside of them aren't even apparent until you start to get really deeply into the mathematics, you know. And they're such complicated math. Right, right, right. Fibonacci series, the golden mean... Oh, and it, they are absolutely, absolutely mind-blowingly complicated maths. You know, um, one of the things uh, that, that, that interests me that I actually heard um, during uh, the, the, um, uh, the Quest for Truth video was that uh, in addition, some of these formations, the, uh, the design itself is a new design. In other words, some of these are designs that have been seen on the pages of, of a textbook, for example. But some of the things they're showing up have never even been seen before on the planet. Yeah. Brand new designs that uh, have never been seen anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. There was, a, there was an interesting point. My, my neighbor, who unfortunately is now dead, but he was the first man to do the really um, uh, professional surveys. He was a chartered engineer. Okay. Uh, and uh, he, I, I used to rope him in, and he, we'd go off and measure them together. Right. And he kept on finding a very extraordinary angle in some of them, which which annoyed him. It was the angle he kept on finding was 19.47 degrees, and, oh and that gosh. annoyed the hell out of him. So he'd even it up to 19.5 or down to 19. And it wasn't until I, I was listening to a talk given by somebody called Jim Lance, who's a polymath. He's at York University, and I do a lot of work with him. And he suddenly started talking about this, this um, universal primary geometry of 19.47 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I pricked up my ears, and apparently this is, this is an angle that is found in nature. Uh, the red spot on Jupiter, Mount Olympus on Mars, and the volcano Mauna Lao in Hawaii are all located at the precise latitude of 19.47 degrees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the wake of a ship and a duck swimming along by itself in the, in the river or something, that is an angle, again, of 19.47 degrees. Um, <laughs> wow. Now, for anybody to be able to go into the field and do that, Right. Is, is just impossible. In the darkness, it's just oh, impossible. Yeah, you know, and um, that 19.47, I want to say that that's a significant uh, number in what they call hyperdimensional mathematics and hyperdimensional hyper yes. physics, too. Yes, it is. It right. is, absolutely. And, and, the, and, the, and the pyramids right. are, are, are based on that number, too. It's a tetra in the tetrahedrals. Yes, it's, yes. It's profound, isn't it? Incredible, Lucy. Absolutely yeah. incredible. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so, so for the skeptics out there, um, it, it it turns out that there are, at least in your opinion, right, Lucy, that there are a number of pretty reasonable things that you can do when you go in these formations to to try to make a determination whether this thing has been created by some other means other than human, regardless of what that. I, I know we it's still a mystery what's really going on, mm. but yes. Okay. Wow. Um, 
Well, okay. What? Uh, where do you want to go from there? Now that well, we've described. Well, well, I just just really wanted to to say a couple of things about. We're talking. We've been talking largely about about the science, the scientific aspect of this, but it it isn't just based on 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 science at all. There's this wonderful spiritual side to this phenomenon, and many people have been. I got over 600 reports on my database database of people who very very kindly filled in my questionnaires mm -hmm. and told me in the most wonderful language their own particular um, way of describing things what has happened to them when they've been going into crop circles okay and the most beautiful healing healing examples but what seems to have occurred in quite a lot of people's case is that they draw like when somebody's had an out-of-body experience, um, they come back and they're changed people. Um, their whole outlook on life has altered. They're much more positive. Uh, many of them find that they can actually heal. I mean, we can all heal, but, but an awful lot of us are not aware that we, we can. And these people find that they can, and they use it, and it's it's the same very often with people going into crop circles. Hmm, yeah. So they have this wonderful sort of spiritual trauma, almost on the road to Damascus experience. Right. And and um, they say so that there's, there's this spiritual aspect to it, which is it mustn't be ignored. You know, uh, the description that you just gave right there, it sort of reminds me of the classic shaman uh, experience uh, yes. in, in the indigenous cultures. And it's sort of... Once you get a peek over the other side, or once you get a glimpse beyond the veil, then these people are able to come back and sort of balance between those two worlds and become capable of absolutely incredible things. Well, that's right. And you see, what, what is happening is, and we'll go back again onto the scientific aspect just, just briefly to try and explain this in, in, as best I can. Um, when you get <coughs> the geometry, the very precise geometry in these formations, <clears throat> that's linked to music, which is the diatonic mm. ratio, which right. you know is the white notes on the piano. Right. <clears throat> well, right. those are giving off frequencies, and those frequencies are affecting certain areas of our brain <clears throat> which respond to these frequencies. A friend of mine who uh, I've known for years, she's had a very traumatic life, and she's now got a, a type of Parkinson's and whether it's, it's based on psychological problems or not, I don't know. But anyhow, she tried everything she could in orthodox medicine. And eventually she said, oh, well, Lucy's always bashing on about cross circles. <laughs> uh, she said, I'd love to go into one. Right. So I, I selected one, which I knew was really harmonious. And she went in with a, with a friend of hers, and they sat in the center for just 20 minutes. And you know, she didn't shake once for 24 hours. Now, Parkinson sufferers will know that you're shaking so many times per second, mm -hmm. and it is a draining, physically exhausting, terrible uh, uh, <coughs> condition. Well, her physical relief was tremendous. I have to say that after 24 hours, it came back. Okay. So it was only temporary relief. Mm -hmm. But if only we could somehow discover what the frequencies were that affected the part of her brain which controlled the shaking. Right. We could very possibly have a cure for Parkinson's. Right, right. And who knows what else? Who knows what else? I mean, I got the most 
wonderful uh, lots of stories. But again, talking <coughs> there's so much one can talk about. Um, I, I, there was a very interesting lecture given by somebody called Dr. Serena Roney Dougal on, on, on dreams, and she was talking about how at about 7 o'clock in the evening the chemicals in our brains start to work, mm-hmm. notably melatonin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we, it progresses, and another chemical called serotonin um, comes in, and then eventually pineline, which is as found in our, our, our pineal gland. Pineal and by gland. then we're, we're, we're asleep and we're, we're dreaming, and we, we have many different types of dreams, the deep psychotherapy dreams, the lucid dreams, the various other ones. And she was saying that um, we, we can control our lucid dreams. And she was also saying that if we want to dream about something in particular, if we uh, make an affirmation and concentrate on it before we go to sleep, that it's quite possible. Right, right. So after her talk, I said to various members of the committee, I said, uh, are you game that we, we all try individually tonight to try and think of something that might appear in the fields this summer? Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, yes, they said, let's, let's have a go. So I went home and I fixed my mind on, on this. And I also said, well, I'm going to remember it and I'm going to record it. This is important. Otherwise, you might dream and you might forget about it. Sure, sure. <coughs> And I did. I had a, a dream which I found very disappointing. It was a long row of interacting uh, circles, all interlinking, just in a long straight line, a, a, a linear, a linear formation. And I was very disappointed because I thought, well, we finished now with the, <coughs> the linear formations. Uh, we got on to much more complex things. And uh, so I. I, I very nearly didn't report it, but then I thought, well, to be <laughs> scientific, I must. So I rang through to the secretary and I said, look, this has happened. I've learned this. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not entirely happy with it. And tonight I'm going to try and get back into it, access it again, and, and ask for, for clarification. Well, I could never get back into that particular dream, and, and so the dream faded. Until about six weeks later, and I was flying over the fields, and there underneath the aeroplane suddenly was this formation that had been in my dream my gosh and I couldn't believe it I almost if I hadn't been strapped in I'd probably fallen out of the aeroplane with excitement (laughs) it was just amazing and it was the year of the eclipse wow and this was what I hadn't seen oh man it was the eclipse I think I remember the image I think I remember the formation Wasn't that amazing? Yes, 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 yes. And <coughs> so, so all sorts of very strange things happen. So what do you make of it, Lucy? I mean, what do I make of it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 exciting because we're dealing with a phenomenon that, on every single level, we are learning and we're evolving ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that I get provoked by the press, the media, it's almost as though they have been, uh, got a hidden agenda that has mm-hmm. been dictated to them, that mm-hmm. they have got to rubbish this. Yeah, we see that in, in quite, quite a few different areas of, of, <coughs> of, of, of research, yes. you know, so. Well, it's when anything that threatens the establishment or the uh, order of the day mm-hmm. is considered to be Isn't that the uh, truth? something that has got to be ridiculed. And certainly the, the, the hoaxes, they get a a fantastic amount of, of, of publicity. Um, and so a lot of people automatically just dismiss this subject. 
um, until you, they, they get the basic facts and figures. And then they say, well, we had no idea about this. We right. just had no idea right, right. That, that this is a phenomenon which is so complex and where so much scientific evidence is, is, is there. Um, so the answer is that I think we have to say, and it's, it's rather good sometimes that we have to say, I don't know. Right, right, right. Because we don't know everything in life. <coughs> and if we did, just think how boring it would be. No kidding. I t- I, I, that's one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the primary points of this radio show that I do. And I make a point all the time to tell people about how little we really know and how much yeah. there is to learn and how, how many... Uh, mysteries and incredible phenomena happen right here under our own noses on earth that we know so little about and yet we are out there trying to explain the nature of the universe <laughs> well that's right you know that's right i mean we we are i i think we are if we think possibly about other intelligences elsewhere i think we're probably fairly low on the scale uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, evolution um yeah it's it, it, but it's something that brings in everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they look at it just from the idea of beautiful landscape art, uh, or whether they look at, look at it from the spiritual aspect, mm-hmm. or whatever aspect they, they, they look at it from, some people aren't ready for it at all. <laughs> and they might drive past something and, and hardly even see it. Right, right. Their perceptions is not there, so they just don't see it. No, and, 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 and the, one of the wonderful things about this phenomenon is that there are so many different interpretations to the particular formations, and everybody has a valid interpretation. It's mm. as they see it. Rather like the, we, we didn't talk about the Mayan calendar one, uh, the one opposite Silbury Hill, right, right, which contains the, the, the most amazing information in it of the the three Mayan calendars. And as we were saying earlier on, um, the Mayans and the Aztecs they used three calendars concurrently in parallel, one with the other. Whereas in in the, in the Western world, when we, we we went from the Julian to the Gregorian, right and we left the Julian one behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't use them both simultaneously. Right. Um, and, they're, and, 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 and those calendars, the Julian and the Gregorian, are both very inaccurate uh, timekeeping devices in any case. Yes, so, absolutely. Right. Uh, but the, <clears throat> the Mayans, they had the three calendars. They had the um, Salkin, the Harb, and the Long Cunt. And they were all amazingly precise. Wow. And what you can find in this formation is, in fact, all three of them in it, right down to days. And in the harp, I think there were five missing days, and those those days were considered to be unlucky days. Well, you can actually find the five missing days in, in, that, in that calendar, My, in that formation. My gosh. It's absolutely stunning. I still haven't quite finished doing all the work on it. Uh, because it's so complex. So uh, here again, one's suddenly starting to learn about, about uh, something else, another subject. Right, right, how it ties into all these other things. Yeah. You know, it's almost like this interactive communication going on. Um, you know, I, from, from, the orig- or from, from some, I shouldn't say original, as you pointed out earlier, these things go back a long, long way. But some of the earlier ones, maybe 20, 25 years ago, is a simple... Uh, circles and Celtic fours and those sorts of things. Even those, as simple as they may be, communicate deeper and further ideas, you know? Oh, they do. 
They do. And, you know, I, I just wish everybody could visit a, a, a genuine crop circle because one woman said to me after a talk, uh, she said, you know, she said, I've been to so many lectures. I've read all the books on the subject. But she said nothing could actually prepare me hmm. for the, the, the feeling the wonderful feeling that she got when she actually went into the formation itself. Mm. And this is something, it's, it's a most extraordinary form, feeling. You go in and you feel quite safe. You, you feel almost as though it's what I call the cathedral effect. Mm. You go in, when you go into a church or a cathedral, um, you feel totally secure. It's, it's, your, it's the world of, of sort of security and peace and silence and where you can, you can, you can reach other other areas of, sure. your, of your, your soul and your heart. And it's, it's very much the same when you, you go into these formations. You, you, you sit down and you, you find yourself going into, into other dimensions quite easily, other levels of consciousness. Right, right. And, right. and it, it is really a, a truly remarkable uh, experience. Um, when I've been giving talks, quite often people have reacted quite strongly to the of the pictures I've shown, some mm -hmm. people have been healed, other people f say, oh, I can't look at that, and they have to close mm -hmm. their eyes. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not nothing to do with what I'm saying, but it's, it's to do with the, um, the frequencies that are given off from the formations, the slides of them. Right. It's, it's quite extraordinary. It is extraordinary. You know, you just made me think of something else as well. You know, when, when you mentioned the heart, I, yes. talk, I, I talk a lot about the heart on this program, and, and um, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this. We, we know now that the heart, the human heart, actually um, creates its own electromagnetic field that extends outward from the body some yes. 15 to 20 feet in some cases. And I would love to see the results of a study of, of how the... Uh, uh, the, the electromagnetic field of the heart reacts uh, uh, in, in, the, in the vicinity or inside one of these formations. Yes, I, I quite agree. It would, be, it would be fascinating. You're quite right. Every single organ in our body has its own electromagnetic field. And our brains are a mass of electricity, <laughs> aren't they? Sparking away like right. notice business. Right. Um, so, yes, our heart would certainly, but, uh, yes, I think it I would love <laughs> to know. You're quite right. It would be a lovely thing to, 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 to know. Oh, but, right. you know, these things, we think, well, an intelligence behind them. I, I firmly believe there is an intelligence. What is that intelligence? I mean, who can say what's in the mind of God? Right. Um, we don't know. Right. But it's huge, it's enormous, and it's very profound. And at the same time, it's lovely, it's exciting, and, and um, it's beautiful. Sure, it's the, uh, it's the whole idea that the, 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 the trip is more important than the destination. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is, because, uh, you know, will we ever have an answer? Who knows? But, uh, but just the... Um, the the incredible journey and adventure that you go on as you're trying to find that answer leads to so much. When it does, you're absolutely right. It's the journey which is important because we we are just learning so much, and we it we just you just have to open yourself up to the phenomenon right. and 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 open yourself up to all the possibilities that are there and. Um, what everybody wants to do. There are all different, so many different aspects to it that 
there's room for absolutely everybody. You know, Lucy, um, one of my close friends uh, who actually did a did a big story on the web about Milk Hill a couple yep. of years ago. Remember the Milk Hill form formation from two, 2000, I think it was? Yeah, yes, the, the one with 409 circles. Yes. Yeah, um, that was fantastic. Incredible, right? So, uh, anyway, he, in fact, I think he is linked to, linked to your site. His name is Kent Stedman. He runs a site called cyberspaceorbit.com. Oh, right. And uh, Kent's an incredible guy. And he, one of his sayings, in fact, sort of his mantra is that in an infinite universe, all dreams are real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what you just said to me, I think. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. But, you know, that one, going back to that one, it appeared on a night when it was rainy, raining. And when that happens, if, if it's man-made, you'd see mud all over the formation. Sure. It wasn't, wasn't a trace of mud. Well, and uh, for, for those of you listening out there, if you want to see these things with your own eyes, uh, you need to go over to Lucy's website. Uh, you can see this at http colon slash slash home dot clara dot net slash Lucy Pringle. Uh, one word, Lucy Pringle, uh, spelled just like it sounds. Uh, or you can also go to RadioOrbit.com, my website, and you can link to Lucy's from there. And uh, there's uh, Lucy, you also have a lot of articles on the website, yes, too, I, I wanted to mention. Maybe yeah, you could talk I think, about I think that people might be interested in those. Yep. Well, all of that stuff is available, available at Lucy's website and uh, uh, lots of detail uh, about the stuff that we've been talking uh, talking about this evening or this morning for Lucy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we've been on the phone for an hour already, and have uh, we? we have. And yep. I, I know you're a very busy woman, and I'm well, going to ask you if you'd like to hang around just for a little while, anyway, just to just, just to throw it out there. Uh, I, I can. May I just do ten minutes? You can do as much as you'd yep. like. We no, I think just just ten minutes, Mike. If you don't mind, because I've got to dash off. I'm meeting people. And nope, that is yep. absolutely fine. Let me do a quick uh, yep. uh, station ID here. You're listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, uh, Mid Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk certainly diverse talk, <laughs> and uh, music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio, KOPN Columbia. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit, and I'm lucky enough to have Lucy Pringle from Hampshire uh, in the United Kingdom on the line with me, and we've been talking about crop circles and crop formations for the last hour, and we've got ten minutes more with Lucy, so I'm just going to shut my mouth and let her uh, talk. Do you want to take any questions from anybody? Can anybody ring in? Well, we can try. Uh, let's, yeah. uh, uh, the number here is area code 573-443-8255. Anybody listening, if you have a question or a comment for Lucy, uh, give me a call here, and I will get you, uh, uh, I'll get you on the... Um, uh, I'll get you on the air here, and you can ask Lucy a question. The number is 443-8255, one more time. So, okay, Lucy, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the phone here, and if somebody calls, we'll pick okay. them up. Okay, yeah. Um, what, well, I, think, I think it might be interesting just to say how I, I, I came into this in, in, in this particular journey. Hey, how long, I, have you, how long have you been doing it, and, and well, when, was, four, when was the first time? Years. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. And it was in, in I, I, was, I was asked to be a founder member of the first academic society. Um, and I, um, I was, one day I'd been, I was going to take my very first flight over the crop circles and I was enormously excited. And I'd been playing tennis the, the night before and I was playing in a very, very fierce mixed double. 
doubles of tennis and, and somebody hit a very hard ball to me at the net and I mm. got it back but I, I severely damaged my shoulder in the, in the, in the process okay. and that night I could hardly get my arm up even to clean my teeth and I thought oh heck how am I <laughs> going to drive down to the airport the next day right but I managed to because I got a gear shift car with my left hand and everything was okay. That's and right. I got yeah. there. You drive on the other side of the road over there, don't you? I'm yeah. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. I got to hold the stick shift in my right hand. What do you mean her left hand? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So I got to the airport and the pilot said he had something fantastic to show us. I was there with my sister and a friend. And he wouldn't say what. We got out on the plane and it was the first time that we'd had that a really enormous formation in 1990 where we had the linear effect and the uh, the uh, abutments to it and it was really it was fantastic i couldn't believe my eyes and of course i forgot about my my shoulder <laughs> and we flew around and there were three of them i it was just mind-blowing and i didn't realize how fantastic they looked from the air you saw them in a totally different new dimension oh my gosh i can't even imagine you oh, know it was just fantastic and I got back, and driving home, I realized I was in a lot of trouble. So we stopped at a little formation in Hampshire. It was a very simple one. <clears throat> and I went in, and I doused. I doused for the yin and the yang. They're Chinese properties, you know, between sure. negative, positive, etc. Sure. And being female, which is yin, I look for a, a yang point to, to balance me up. <clears throat> and I found this yang point, and I sat there, and I felt marvelous. And I suddenly realized that a whole lot of energy was rippling through my shoulders. Hmm. And I thought, well, this is strange. Is it really happening? Yes, yes, it was. So I thought, well, well, <clears throat> I wonder what it's doing. So I twiddled my damaged shoulder, and it was completely healed. My gosh. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is extraordinary. And I twiddled it again. There, it was healed. So I called her to a friend of mine, Margaret Randall, who was with, with me. And she and I both suffer from Raynaud's, you know, which is the circulatory thing. Your fingers go white, that sort of thing. Right, right, right. But she's got a more complex, uh, she's got a secondary condition, which is systemic sloederma, which has all sorts of nasty side effects, and she's a guinea pig at a London teaching hospital. And I, I didn't know if anything would happen to her, so I just said, Maggie, this is a good spot. I didn't say what had happened to me. <laughs> and the moment she sat down, she said, oh, I feel wonderful. She said, I'd love to stay here forever. So I went off and I did my measuring and dicing and, and I came back. And there she was lying flat on her back. Okay. And I said, Maggie, you haven't lain flat on your back for ages. Now, she hadn't lain flat on her back for 15 years because of these side effects. She'd had to be propped up. Oh, my gosh. And she said, I can't believe this. <laughs> and nor could I. And here we were, totally independently. Um, she didn't know what had happened to me. Uh, we'd gone in with no expectations whatsoever. And there were both of us. My shoulder healed and Maggie lying flat on her back. Wow. <coughs> so that was what triggered it off. I thought, well, something is happening in these formations for which there is no explanation and no research has been done. So I got out this questionnaire and we've again that has been uh, slightly altered over the years to, to bring in more more subjects but as i say i've got over 600 reports and this is what i base my research on because when people maybe i get 10 or 11 12 reports all quite independently telling me the same thing i say right 
Now I've got to try and find out scientifically what is happening. Mm-hmm. And people going into altered states of consciousness, that made me go into the brain activity. Um, people having hormone results, um, suddenly people would go into a formation. <coughs> Many people who've been through the menopause started all over again, <laughs> much, oh, wow. to their, much to their horror. Oh, and you, I thought, well, right, that's a hormone stimulation. <coughs> so their reports, the people that, that send me in these reports, are contributing to this research in a most invaluable way. Wow. Well, I tell you what, the work that you're doing is invaluable uh, as well, and I'm, I'm so appreciative that there are people like you that are out there asking these questions and doing this research and, uh, uh, and trying, to, uh, trying to help people with it, because obviously, the, okay, look, there are a tremendous amount of things that are, there are a lot of different levels to this phenomenon, obviously. Yes. Um, some of them purely aesthetic, some of them sort of superficial, and some of them obviously very profound and uh, very important and possibly beneficial to, uh, to maybe not just to human beings, maybe to the whole planet. Who really knows? Well, that's right. And I think maybe it's drawing our attention <coughs> to the planet and the needs of the planet because many people, Gaia, you know, is, is a Roman name for, 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 the, for the spirit of the earth. Sure. Um, rather like James Lovelock, he, I think he christened it Gaia, and he says that, you know, the Earth is a living, breathing organism. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes we, we forget that, don't we? That, you know, if, if, if it could speak, if the Earth could speak, rather like a human being, we might pay more attention to it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is an attempt to do that. I think maybe it is. Because it's a language in the field, isn't it? Some it, sort of language. It sure is, and and it and it and the evolution of it actually <laughs> even uh, even uh, uh, helps to validate that point. In other words, it started out very very simple, and then there's been this uh, this sort of exponential evolution of the complexity of the phenomenon where we see uh, 15 years ago you know we were seeing simple one two circles Celtic fours those sorts of things and now like you say we have we have Julia sets and Fibonacci sequences and incredibly complex geometric patterns and 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 beautiful artwork altogether well that's it it's almost to say we're being we're being sent to school aren't we it's we start ex- in grade one and we're sort of progressing up that is very until, much until what maybe we're like. getting to university standards <laughs> that's, a, that's very very uh, that's a very good analogy to what it seems yes. like yes yes yeah. learning lessons as we go along yeah <laughs> sort of because being... if we got the very complex ones to start with we'd be lost wouldn't we sure and we've, and ha- we've had to evolve with the phenomenon yeah you know I have I have a um, I have a young child i have a one a one-year-old son and i'm wa- i'm watching i'm watching as this intelligence unfolds in him yes that's thrilling isn't it it's it, like a bud opening isn't it yes, a flower opening it's just the the it's like you said about being inside a formation you can read about it you can hear about it but until you actually experience it mm. there's nothing like it and you no. can't and you can't no. describe it well i see the same thing happening with my son and um and it's this sort of unfolding of intelligence and being led along and being brought to school, and it seems a good analogy for what we're seeing in the fields. That's it. That's it. 
Mike, I think I've got to go. Lucy, you have been uh, uh, generous with your time, and I thank you so much for spending time with me and my audience, and hopefully I can talk you into doing this again sometime because there is so much more to talk about. And <laughs> no, it's an, it's, it's an endless, endless, endless subject, isn't it? It is. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to let you go. We will. Um, I'll give out all your information again uh, to, uh, to my audience here, even if you're not on the air with me, and I will be in touch with you. Uh, I promise I'll stay in touch, and we will... Um, uh, we'll get together again and we'll do this again. I'd love to have you as maybe even a regular guest. You can come on every few months in, in the summertime for sure, and we can talk about uh, what's happening on the ground and, and, and what you're learning with your research. It would be just fantastic. That sounds excellent. I've entirely enjoyed it too. Lucy, thank you, Mike. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Lucy Pringle live from her home in Hampshire in England. And uh, you are very fortunate to just uh, get to spend the last hour and ten minutes with her. It was an astounding conversation, and I hope you guys uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to learn more about Lucy Pringle and more about crop circles and crop formations, you can go to my website, which is www.radioorbit.com. That's R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. Just one O in the middle there. Um, or you can just go to, to uh, one of your search engines on the web and just put in Lucy Pringle. And uh, you'll be able to pull up her website and go check out in great detail uh, some of the things that we were talking about tonight. Uh, you've been listening to Radio Orbit. We've got about 50 minutes left to go. Uh, we're going to play a little music and kind of chill out for this next 45, 50 minutes. And uh, I might cut back in and talk about a few things that are on my mind. But in the meantime, uh, let's... Uh, Let's hear something that's nice on the ears. This is Dire Straits on Radio Orbit.